Hey, 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 everybody. My name's Ryan Atkinson, and you are on Business Cloud. Today, we are welcoming a great guest and Brett Barlow, the CEO of Every. They are on a mission to empower people to get paid when they earn it, because after all, it is the 21st century, and we need to stop paying people like we did in 1950. Brett, thank you so much for being here. I am super excited for today's episode and talk with you. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I want to start off with like your early background. Um, I'm always really interested in marketing. That's what I do for my full-time job. Uh, you got started in marketing in, 20, in 2003 with Ancestry.com. Since then, you've held executive marketing positions with companies like HP, Skull Candy, Pluralsight. I just want to ask, like, we're in 2022 now, coming up on 2023. How yeah. has marketing changed since 2003? Yeah, I actually started in 1995. And just when I was filling out my LinkedIn profile, I was just like, that just felt like too far to go back. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but marketing has always been kind of my passion where I came from. And when I wanted to start my career, I graduated in communications. They didn't have marketing degrees in the 90s. Really? And uh, in my mind, I, I wanted to be in sports marketing. I, mm -hmm. it, I've always been a sports fan. At the time, Jerry Maguire had, had come out. And I'm, you know, I'm a 22-year-old whatever person. <laughs> and what am I going to do? So um, at that time, in the mid-1990s, Salt Lake City had been awarded the Salt Lake City Olympics in 2002. Ooh. And a local agency was involved with that. So coming out of college, I thought, this is my shot. Yeah. I can work on the Olympics. I, you know, let me put my hat in the ring. Um, so I did that and they hired me and uh, they immediately put me on the Medicare account where I was marketing to senior citizens about their Medicare services. So didn't work on the Olympics at all. <laughs> so that didn't quite work out as planned, but um, in those early days, it was uh pre-PDFs, we were faxing um, approvals to people. People are listening to this and be like, this guy's a dinosaur. No. Um, but it was more of a direct response motion. So magazines, catalogs, direct mail, DRTV, those types of things. And I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was really unsexy what I was working on, but it created the foundation for the rest of my career because early on, it just really embedded with me. You have to show value when you're spending money on things. So I'm a brand guy. I, I absolutely love building brands, but there's also an accountability. This is, That was the first time I'd been, you know, really exposed to ROI and expecting mm. certain... We, the KPIs that we have now didn't really exist then. It was conversion rates and a response rate and things. But that's, like I said, set the foundation to where, you know, three years later, when, when really the digital world started to kind of open up in the later 90s, I was really well positioned to actually make a transition and started joining startups in their mm -hmm. demand generation, in their branding, where there's nothing more quantifiable than digital marketing. And I had kind of a baseline set. So with my career, I kind of went, I like to build. I went startup to startup to startup. And we're, I've been fortunate enough to be on leadership teams that have sold businesses. And um, about 15 years ago, we sold a business to Hewlett Packard. Oh. And uh, I was vice president of marketing there. That's so cool. And, but well, my employee number was 198,000. Oh, bad. 
That was my employee number. So, you know, I was probably one of, at the time, I'm like, oh, I'm a VP at this, you know, Fortune 500 company, but I was probably one of 10,000 VPs in that level. Kind of fell off in the shuffle and I just really wanted to get back to building. I I, I love the the fast moving pace of a, of a startup. And so I left from there and became head of marketing at a headphone company called Skullcandy. Yep. And which at the time was the hottest brand around in action sports and fashion, audio. We're just a rocket ship. Um, and then this little company called Beats by Dre came along and <laughs> small and little this is a small little company, um, but I learned a lot about, you know, consumer brand marketing, building brands, and then meshing the direct response element to it in retail, in, in mm-hmm. digital partner, reseller, all, all the different channels. It was a really great kind of learning ground for me, even though I was leading, I was leading the organization. We took that company public in 2011. Sick. And then I went from consumer goods to being the CMO of a SaaS company called Pluralsight, yep. which in just very basic terms is uh, Netflix for developers. So if you're mm-hmm. trying to improve your skill set as a developer, your developer, excuse me, you pay a monthly fee. Yep. You get access to their to their library, and we took that company public in 2018. That's so, re- yeah. Go ahead. No, that's what I I was really curious about because you were the chief brand officer when you that when they did go public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So I was curious, like, what was like the biggest difference from a brand perspective when you were private versus when you were public? Was there any difference at all from how you portrayed the brand? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the kimono is closed when you're private. Mm. Kimono is open when you're public. Yep. <laughs> there, you know, yeah, there has to be some change in the way you think about spend in general. Mm-hmm. You have quarterly earnings calls, you have, um, you know, you have to provide guidance, you have public oversight on things. So at the beginning, um, I actually had, I mean, we were actually profitable and growing. So big budgets, we're able to do a lot of things. We still had I mean, for our size, I would say a sizable budget. I think our marketing budget was overall 15%, 12 to 15% of revenue, I think, something like that. And that included headcount and, and everything yep. that went into that. So not small, but not huge. Um, but it became heavily on building pipe. After we went public, yeah. it was building pipeline, you know, uh, conversion rates what is the bdr team are they producing leads are they closing yep. leads and the brand took kind of a it didn't go away but it took a a back seat to we got to hit these quarterly numbers and um and that's good that brings good discipline to a business as well mm-hmm. you know it's quantifiable what i believe is that you don't have to sacrifice brand for accountability mm. you, know, you can have you can have both people have a misconception of brand is like, what's your logo? What's your color palette? What's your tagline? And that's just so pedestrian. That's just a very, yeah, those are outputs of a brand. A brand is what you believe in. A brand is what your mission is. And then how does that mission show forth in employee to customer interactions, your, your digital exchange with people, customers, customer service or success. 
um, are you acting like what you profess to be? And then I think it was Bezos as a marker of brand said something effective. You can measure a brand by what people say about you when, when you leave the room. Yep. And, and you can have that and you can create that emotional connection and still be really quantifiable in your executions and, and blending those together as a chief brand officer and a chief marketing officer. It was a challenge, but it was, you know, it was, it was a fun challenge. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. And that's what people always say about marketing is like marketing is basically just selling to your emotions and like making an emotional connection to the consumer. Um, so I'm curious, you know, now you're at every let's, can you take us first off? Like, how did you come across every, how did this opportunity arise? And then can you talk, talk to us about the brand that you have and how you're making that connection with consumers? Sure. So um, the head of, of finance at Skullcandy is a good friend of mine. And he, it was his original idea. Talked to me while I was still at Plural Site. We're back at the napkin, you know, <laughs> little cafe Panera or something. Just yep, yep. Like, got this idea. Um, we were still pre-IPO. I wanted to see that through, so I joined. I agreed to join his board. What he had was um, a daughter that was in college, and she was making enough money to pay her bills, but she was somewhat regularly coming to him with, hey, dad, can you give me a loan? Not quite making it. And what he realized was he was she was making enough money to pay her bills, but um, there was a mismatch in timing on when she was paid. So he's like, okay, I'm an operator. I'm a finance guy. I can figure this out. So every was based, was founded based on the, we want to pay workers um, the wages that they've earned. Yep when they've earned them fast four years ago kind of revolutionary yeah moving towards now more and more the becoming the expectation rather than the um you know people not expecting that i mean there's venmo there's Zelle, there's stripe there's paypal there's all like when people earn money they feel like they should own it so what we've done is we built a whole payroll platform that does your traditional things. But with that, we're able to pay people daily. If they choose, we give them choice yep. for the wages they've earned. We can pay them daily or we can pay them actually in the gig economy where we're focused right now. So if you Ooh. have an app, if you have an app and all Uber isn't a customer of ours, but I'll use because people yeah. know what Uber is. So you have Uber, they have drivers, they're serving people. We embed our technology with a company like Uber. And so when a driver completes their, their delivery or their drive or whatever that is, they push a button and we pay them within 30 minutes. That's so, what I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's fast. So we are built on payroll. So we serve W-2s. But now if you're familiar with some of the legislation of the worker classifications and people feeling that um, 1099 workers are being taken advantage of, they should get the rights and privileges of a W-2. We're one of the only companies that can serve 1099s and W-2s because we started as payroll and have kind of migrated into this embedded payroll or embedded payments with, with other platforms, but we can do both. So you asked about the brand as far as that. Well, I think 
brand again misconception isn't a funny commercial although we've yeah. done some commercials <laughs> brand is when there's an emotional connection and you're fixing a problem and somehow you're making somebody's life just even a little bit better or easier and when you do that they tell other people there's nothing that spreads well good news spreads fast bad news probably spreads a little faster but when people find something that changes their life yep. they like to tell people think of a movie review do you go to online to see if you like a movie or to go watch a movie or do you just maybe call your brother or sister or a close friend and say hey have you seen this is it worth checking out the validation of somebody that you trust yep far greater than some third-party generic opinion of something so if we can impact people's lives they tell other people they share it with their peers and but the trick is how do you how do you communicate to them mm -hmm. right and um there's zero if you're if your listeners are looking for a silver bullet i don't have it yeah i don't i don't have it it's with every interaction you have with a customer and a prospect, you should live your mission, vision, values, and you should in some way help them feel like their life is better for having inter interacted or engaged with your company. You can add on top of that layers, right? So you have that. If you don't have that trust of consumer, then you, if you have that, then, okay, well, where can we um, expand that message into specific channels? Are there events? Are there focus, not focus groups, but are there kind of customer advisory councils? Are there digital applications, reseller? I mean, there's distribution kind of channels with that. But, but again, if the baseline isn't solid, then each person is saying a different thing. Each interaction is a little yeah. bit different. And it's just, it's herky-jerky to use a probably a phrase that my grandparents would use so. <laughs> yeah so, i think it yeah go ahead. yeah go ahead no it's okay i didn't mean to interrupt you i i don't think there's a silver bullet but we value our brand in the sense of just we believe that we're a mission-driven company and that's the focal point of our brand that's displayed in what we think are modern uh, kind of a modern feeling website and and those things, but those are just kind of tactics and executions that that circle what we really stand for. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because I was doing some research on this, and sixty four percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, according CNBC was that source. Um, like, why is the two week paycheck failing Americans? Well, that's a great question. First of all, there's it started 50 years ago or more because um, the government wanted taxes and it was yeah. really burdensome to make them like if companies um, extract taxes on a frequent basis. So it was an arbitrary two weeks seems like normal. So it's failing Americans um, in the sense that uh, 68% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So if you're a, an employer, um, seven out of 10 of your workers are distracted. Yep. They, you know, they're stressed, they're worried. <clears throat> and uh, that's causing just a decrease in productivity in the workforce. 12 million Americans are participating in payday loans. 
hmm. at an average of 360% interest per loan. They're on, why are they on payday loans? <laughs> because they can't quite make the ends meet, right? There's that mismatch in timing. Then you have um, credit card credit card fees that can be exorbitant, APRs that are you know really high, or you have bank overdraft. So it's failing Americans because it's there's actually revenue being generated by companies on the backs of people that are suffering. And it's just wrong. It's just it's just wrong. So we want to we want to break that apart. We want to be the the payday loan slayer. We want people that feel like once they've provided a service that they can have access to their to their funds. I don't know when when you're when I was younger, I used to mow my parents' lawn. Yeah, grandparents and a couple neighbors. When I was done mowing the lawn, I went and I knocked on the front door and they gave me a ten dollar bill or whatever it was they're paying. Yeah, I got paid immediately for work that I've done. There's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't be translated into the professional world. So it's failing Americans for some of those things and also their preferences. 83% um, of people that, um, and I don't have the, the actual source of the survey, although we've done our own, our own surveys, say that um, their choice of pay or choice of when they're paid would heavily influence where they work. I mean, it means that much to them on a scale of how much do I get paid, frequency of pay, um, paid time off, like all the benefits that you have, 83% of them rank that at the top of, yeah, I want my money when I've earned it. That's really interesting because I think I think it's so typical for companies to offer like bi-weekly um, like pay stubs like, hey, like you worked for two weeks, here's your pay stub. But I do like the model of being paid like instantaneously. Like if you do it with like Uber, um, I've delivered with DoorDash. I get paid like whenever I really want to um, huh. like AskRabbit, Instacart. Those are all like four that just come to mind right now about companies that they'll pay you when you want to get paid. And I think that's a really different model than what America is used to. But I think it's a trend that you're seeing right now that America is moving towards that. Yeah, to, for a sports analogy, we're skating to where the puck is going, <laughs> not where the puck is. And for the Ubers and the DoorDashes, they have built these own systems and processes, Instacart, et cetera. But there are thousands of regional delivery gig staffing yep. businesses that don't have the wherewithal or the ability to just build that from scratch. And so we embed our technology with them. So it's a seamless, it's a seamless experience for the worker. It's easy for the admin. It's super affordable. And we're actually launching um, a card program in Q1 to where it's actually free. It's free for them. It's free for the worker. It's free for the, the, the business. Um, and we can pay them instantly. And also we don't have to rely on banking hours for ACHs. So yes. if you make a delivery on Saturday afternoon or Christmas Eve, we can pay you immediately after that. So we have different, we have different routes, payment routes that we can, that we can use. Yeah, that's what I like because uh, I, I freelance with one of my clients, we use a platform called Gusto. And yeah. if I spend my hours on like Friday, but it takes like two days to like a business day, a full business day. So I don't actually get paid until like that Monday or even Tuesday. Um, mm -hmm. But it'd be nice to be able to, oh, it's Friday. Like pay me now because I've already done the work for two weeks. Well, listen to this dirty little secret. First of all, Gusto is a great business. 
Yeah, I think they've done some really some great things. And I think they've revolutionized payroll in a lot of ways. But if you're a payroll administrator and you're paying people on, say, the 1st and the 15th, yeah, you typically have to submit their payroll on the 12th or the 13th to get paid on the 15th. Yep. Well, large companies like ADP, Paylocity, Paychecks, even Gusto to an extent, they're sitting on those dollars and they're making millions and millions of dollars off of the float. So if you look at the financial statements for ADP, they have an interest or a, an interest revenue. Interesting. Line item on their 10Q. And for a company like ADP, that's like $400 million a year. So they're not incentivized to move fast, I guess is my, what I'm trying to say there. They're just not incentivized to really change. So they put band-aids like earned wage, earned wage access apps. They connect with them that kind of, they loan you like 30% of your paycheck for a fee. We don't charge fees to the worker and we give them 100% of their earnings when they earn it. Interesting. I do want to talk about moving fast because since in the past year or so, you guys have moved like very fast. Your employee head counts up 21% in the past six months. Um, you raised a $10 million seed round in April. You tripled revenue in the past 12 months. Um, I want to ask, first off, congratulations on all those because those are all huge accomplishments. Right. Um, let's start with raising the $10 million seed round. First off, I just want to ask like, what's it like pitching to investors in like your position and you're at and like, wh what are they saying when you, when you are pitching and wanting to raise money? Yeah, we've actually raised a seed round and an A round. So we've oh. raised 14 million and we recently closed a, uh, tens of million dollar partnership deal, which ah, is kind of an embedded payroll. So we've been very fortunate that way. Um, Look, raising money can be, let me be captain obvious here. It can be really easy or it can yeah. be really hard. Um, if you are um, disciplined in the way that you're running your business and you have the KPIs that are interesting to, to, um, to an investor, net revenue retention, yep. churn, growth, you know, your conversion rate to active dollars, all of them have a little bit different mix on that. The magic number comes up, things like that. If you're managing your business well, you're going to have investors that will be willing to deploy dollars. If you're in a position where you're maybe a little bit cash strapped, your KPIs aren't quite where they need to be, yep. especially right now, it's going to be harder to raise. Yep. And you might end up taking money from someone who maybe isn't a great partner. And you're getting married. I mean, you, you're getting married. Make no mistake about it. You're connected with these people. And you might find yourself in a position with someone who maybe doesn't share your values or is more challenging to work with, isn't as great of a resource. Um, I've been very fortunate to have VCs that are have operating experience. They understand what we're doing. They believe in what we're doing. They're very supportive. So I've been very fortunate. And because of some of the deals we've closed, we're skipping over this challenging time of trying to raise money right now. Um, and we'll raise money in 24, maybe 25, something like that. But hopefully some of this volatility or at least maybe stagnation, I guess would say for investment dollars, we'll, um, we'll open up a little bit. That's really cool. It's um, always worked though. It's I I said it's either easy or hard. 
it's always hard in that it takes a team because there's due diligence and and hundreds of meetings it feels like so there's always that layer yeah but the the easier hard is more the types of investors that you get and how much money they're willing to deploy can either can either be easier depending on your business or more challenging it's interesting and like if you I think it's really interesting because you make a great point of like, if you are disciplining, you actually are have your number, like numbers intact, like you're doing really well. Like investors are still like pretty receptive to business ideas, even though with how the markets are right now and some other market conditions. They have limited partners that have invested in their funds. So there might be kind of a, a slowness. Yeah. But my opinion is it there's going to be some pressure there from VCs to deploy funds because they have to create a return for their LPs. Yep. So that's going to happen. They're going to have to do that. And maybe they're being more cautious now. Multiples have certainly come down from the, they were pretty frothy in 2021. <laughs> um, they've come down from that. I saw one that was 30 per the 30 times multiple, even a 40 times multiple, which is ridiculous. So I think for a for a, a solid business between, I mean, 20, a 20 times multiple isn't unheard of in SaaS. Yeah. You know, eight to 12 times multiple if you're if you're performing is I think pretty reasonable for where we are right now, but that can change. Interesting. Um, I want to go to the employee headcount. Uh, it's up 21% in the past six months. What gets more challenging as a leader um, as you scale the product in the company? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything. So we were we were kind of born in the pandemic. Yeah. The idea was before the pandemic, but when I joined full-time, I think there were seven or eight of us. And we had a shared office space, the pandemic hit, um, and we all went home. And we just figured out, hey, we can actually be pretty efficient here. Um, what it did was it forced discipline in maybe um, where you would go to a water cooler or in the kitchen and say, hey, let's talk about something. It's more, <laughs> hey, can I have a Zoom call? Or can, you know, you have to be more deliberate in a mm in a remote work environment. And then as you're growing the employee base as much as we have, and it's remote, you have to be even more thoughtful about your interactions. So um, we try to be really consistent. So uh, we do, uh, for example, I have my executive team meetings every week in person and I do my one-on-ones, hopefully in person if we can. Yep. So I'll try to just kind of set that. We do monthly all hands meetings. Um, and then we try to do some get togethers, call it quarterly, something like that. So that, those are kind of activity based, which everybody does. Yeah. Um, the most important thing for me is in my role is establishing and, and communicating what is our mission? What do we stand for? How do we treat each other? What are our values? What do we do? Yeah. Because some people like, you need to have, like, what do we do and, <laughs> and, and how will we be successful? And I think most people want to feel like they're part of bigger, that they're part of something that's bigger than themselves, that they're not mm -hmm. just, if you're just working for a paycheck, then the conversation is always, well, I deserve more money. Yep. And it's, you know, so yeah, I want everybody to be paid fairly. And I would like everybody to be a millionaire. I'm not, not going to be, 
it's capitalism. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's go. But to me, it's more about um, am I making a good and fair wage? Do I have skin in the game? We give all of our employees equity. Um, and do I feel like I'm part of something that's disruptive, change, interesting, mission based? So it's not just about compensation. It's about being involved with a group of people trying to solve a problem and people rally behind that. So also, I guess um, I've always been an office guy. Yeah. Lived in, worked in offices, first in, first out, you know, let's go. And so this was a big transition for me because we're all remote now. Um, and I always thought people that work from home were just giving an excuse to like go take a day trip to the lake or something. That's yep, just yep. my ignorance and, you know, something I've had to learn. What it's helped us do being based in Utah, which isn't exactly known for its diversity. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, it, it, it's just not being a remote company has allowed us in that 20% growth, a third of our company now works outside of the state. So we have people in Michigan and Portland and in um, Texas, uh, yep. you know, all over the country that are bringing different um, genders, um, racial diversity, but as importantly, just diversity of thought. They just have different experiences. When you have people that all work in a, or live in an area and look somewhat similar or have similar backgrounds, you're going to have similar ideas. So what, the, one of the big benefits that we've had is just new, fresh ideas that come. And I, and I love it. Um, and it's really important to me that we try to have, um, I hope that we're considered to be a company that values diversity in yep. all of those senses and uh it takes extra work but i think it pays dividends that's what i think has been like one of the coolest things about remote work is like it really opens up the opportunities for companies to hire diverse talent but also gives the opportunity for someone like me to like find different companies in different parts of the united states that i closely align with i think there is a really big shift right now from um, people my age just yeah like we want good paychecks we want to be paid but going back to your point, we want uh, to work for a mission that we can get behind and something we can root for and be like, yes, I'm very, very proud of this company. And I think that's a shift we're seeing right now um, with my with my age range, but maybe even a little bit older than mine as well. Yeah, I get some. There's there's unfair press around millennials and Gen yeah. Z and things, and I think it's just so wrong. Um, there might be a slightly different value set of what they where they rank priorities. Yeah. But everybody wants to be paid for the work that they've done, mm -hmm. but they also want to feel like they matter. Yep. And they want to be given the trusted to have the flexibility of choice of, is it really important that I'm in the office eight to five, yep. or is it more important that I have these objectives and I get them done in time? That might be at midnight. That might yep. be at five in the morning. Will you trust me to do those things? Do you trust me to take vacation and know I'm still going to? get done so it's just i don't buy into the whole negativity of that the millennials that i've hired and and just younger um i guess demographics of employees to me have just been fantastic you just can't treat them like your grandpa treated them like yeah. you know wear a tie into work like what well, does that really matter I mean, maybe <laughs> in banking it does but i don't dictate when people come in and when they're working what their attire is 
I trust them. Like a salesperson should probably dress appropriately to yeah. address a certain meeting, right? Um, we're pretty casual in, in the way we interact. That's just us. And I, and I think that there's a value in trust. And if you treat people like adults, they will act like adults. I love that. And so we are winding down on time here. I have two more questions for you. Uh, the first question is, you have been surrounded by some phenomenal people um, with all your different roles. You got, you're obviously a high performer yourself. What would you say are like two to three traits that are similar amongst all high performers that you know? Clear vision of what they're trying to accomplish and personally and, and professionally, and depending on the role. So a CEO needs to set the vision and kind of we're going to climb that mountaintop yep. and moving obstacles where an individual contributor might have a, you know, a, a, a different view of what success looks like for that, but having a clear idea of what that is and, and executing to it and, and paying attention to it. Um, I feel like people have interests outside of work mm -hmm. are really successful for some reason, people get a badge of honor for being workaholics or, oh, I'm so busy. And yeah, um, I don't think that you get marked for that. To me, that's you don't manage your time well. Mm -hmm. No, and there's certain types of business where you need times in a business when you need to be putting in extra work and hours and there's all those things. But there's a, I want people bringing their best selves to work. Yeah. And they're depleted or they feel like there's challenges at home you're not going to have that so i think good leaders um successful people understand that um i think that really successful people aren't afraid to ask for help yep. um, that's a, a lesson i've had to learn because when you get into the ceo role it's this feeling of like well i should kind of know the answers yeah frankly i don't i've made thousands of mistakes over my career so being willing to say, I don't know what, let's figure this out together, um, brings a joint kind of um, a team understanding or solving of a problem or joint ownership, I think, rather than just saying, this is what I've decided. This is what you're going to do. Those are a couple of things that I've seen. Um, yeah, I mean, those are those are two really big ones, actually for me perfect well i like it and the last question is first off thank you so much for joining us this was a great episode we talked about a whole wide range of topics so uh, we covered a lot and thank you so much uh, where can people connect with you where can people learn more about you learn about every um and check out what you're doing yeah great so every is spelled e-v-e-r-e-e -E -E. so every.com you can find me on linkedin brett barlow i'd love to connect with people um, you know, we're on all the social channels that, that you could imagine there, but on the website is general information. Um, we love talking with people and love helping businesses. And I would just like to thank you for, you know, Ryan, for letting me join you today. It's been a really nice conversation. Congrats on the podcast and your success here. So I'm, I'm excited for you. Appreciate that. And everyone, those links will be down below. Please do go connect. Brett, you have an awesome LinkedIn, by the way. I forgot to tell you that earlier. Um, so oh. yeah, definitely go check out his LinkedIn and what he's writing. So he's doing great stuff. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Take care. It's a pleasure. Have a good day. 
Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Brett Barlow. He was great to talk about how he is disrupting the payment space and making all of our lives just a little bit easier. And if you would be excited to be paid when you complete a task, make sure to like this video and smash that subscribe button. We have a ton of great guests lined up for you. And frankly, we don't want you to miss out on any of them. Also, make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. It helps with social proof. People see this and they're like, oh, wow, I really want to get on this podcast. Um, and we keep getting great guests like Brett. Lastly, we're here already. Let's binge. We posted a ton of great content recently with entrepreneurs that are changing how we live our lives. And we want you to check it out. So make sure to click these videos here to watch the next video.